Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and it reads just like this. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, last week we spent time looking at that verse, and we said that uh, we discussed uh, how we should engage with the various philosophies we're presented with in this world. But that really is connected to the rest of the passage in which we go on to read in verse 9, For in Christ, or in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. End of reading. Uh, It is always uh, a puzzling thing to me when I meet someone who spends many, many, many hours of their life devotedly sometimes every day to reading the scriptures uh, who amazingly comes away believing that Jesus is not God. Uh, I've had many interactions with Jehovah's Witnesses who do not believe that Jesus is God uh, and other um, various strands of uh, sects that will read the Bible and will come away saying Jesus is not divine. And it's always puzzling to me because there's so much scripture that says he is. Uh, John 1, of course, like basically the whole chapter, but especially John, uh, the first uh, verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes, I know uh, that the Jehovah's Witnesses translation is changed, but in Greek it really does say that. Um, But you don't just have to go to John. I mean, you can go to Paul's letters, and almost every one of them, he's got a claim to Jesus's deity. Uh, Philippians 2 says that Jesus was in the form of God. Uh, Colossians 1.15 says that he's the image of the invisible God. Uh, you, have, you have connections made between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, uh, for example, Isaiah 41 verse 4 uh, is Yahweh speaking, and he says, I alone am the first and the last. But then you go to Revelation 22, verse 13, and it's Jesus speaking, and he also says that he is the first and the last. Well, there there can only be one first and the last, and so clearly Jesus is making a claim to divinity. And so even if not explicitly, at least implicitly, the Bible makes many, many, many claims about his deity all throughout. Uh, So much so that even skeptical scholars of the historical Jesus will acknowledge that the earliest disciples had no doubts about Jesus's godness, about his divinity. Uh, As a matter of fact, the interesting thing is the earliest heresies about the person and work of Jesus did not try and deny his divinity, uh, but actually his humanity. Uh, The argument basically went like this. Uh, There is no way that... God can take on flesh because flesh is bad. It's evil. So when Jesus was here, he merely appeared to have a human body. Uh, This view was known as a docetism. It's an early uh, Gnostic heresy. And, uh, you know, essentially what they did is they brought into their theology of Jesus presuppositions about what was possible and what wasn't, and then applied it to Jesus. And it's, I think, the same in our day whenever you meet someone who says that they're a follower of the God of the Bible, but then denies Jesus' divinity. They have brought their own presuppositions into play. 
So when someone denies his divinity, it's not because necessarily they have been scavenging the text of scripture and have done thorough exegetical work. Uh, no, most likely it's because there's presuppositions they're bringing to the text. Now, everybody does this naturally. Everybody brings their own presuppositions to anything they read. Uh, but it, the goal of the study of scripture is to have our presuppositions challenged. Sometimes they're confirmed, sometimes they are overturned. And that's, God's word does that. God's word forms us, we don't form it. And so, um, so with that being said, that Jesus is clearly uh, sort of presented as God in scripture, we ought to grant that the Trinity is just a little difficult to explain. That's fair enough. It is hard to explain the Trinity. As a matter of fact, the more we try to do so, the more we find ourselves getting into trouble. Uh, I can't understand in the same way how it could be that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, two uh, natures in one person. But when we come to doctrines like this that challenge our reason, challenge our ability to figure them out, the Christian response is not to, is not to side with our reason first, with our presuppositions. It's to side with the word of God. And so we ask first, what does the Bible actually say? And then from there, we build our doctrine. And when we do this, as challenging as it may be to us, we then do what the reformers were begging us to do, and I would argue what the apostles were begging us to do, which is to not go beyond what is written, to stand on Scripture alone as the sole authority for faith and practice. So with all that said, we come back to Paul in Colossians 2. He says, For in him... In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, when this was written, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, it's pretty clear that the Colossians were being taught by someone, something similar to the Gnostic-style heresy I mentioned earlier. Uh, and essentially, you know, it was like, well, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus was God, okay, fine, fine, but, but there's just no way that God would dirty himself with flesh. And on top of this, I mean, we know that the early Gnostics used the term fullness that Paul uses here uh, to describe a bunch of godlike characters that emanated from God. There was a whole system of godlike characters in the Gnostic system that were emanating from him that were said to have his fullness. What does Paul say in Colossians? Nope. All the fullness of God is found in Christ and in Christ's body. The fullness of the deity dwells bodily. It's so hard for us to understand how philosophically scandalous this statement is at that time, but this is the scandal of the Christian church, that God takes on flesh and dwells among us. And then he goes on to say, since Christ is the fullness of God, we have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, one of the hallmarks of Gnostic-like heresy was its emphasis on, quote, secret knowledge. 
I mean, gnosis means knowledge in, in Greek. And, you know, there was this big emphasis on, you know, really being one of the true uh, enlightened people. You had to become an elite spiritual person to go to the deeper regions of, uh, of spirituality. Thus, only a few people, of course, had access to the full knowledge of God. Again, Paul comes in with a baseball bat to that and shatters that nonsense with one little statement. No matter who you are, where you're from, what school you graduated from or didn't, what job you have or don't, if you have Christ, you have everything that you need to stand before God. You, Christian, are united to him by faith and therefore you rule with him over every rule and authority right now. Every rule and authority is a term for spiritual beings, you know, demons, etc. This is who you are, Christian. So in light of the fact that Jesus is God and you are united to him, that he calls you his bride, that he has made you his, you in turn are filled, complete, whole, confident in Jesus. All right, that's the devotion for your Friday. Uh, next week we'll talk about what difference this all makes in our, in our life and how God delivers the goods to us in baptism. So you don't want to miss that one. Next week will be an interesting devotion, maybe a little challenging for some that are watching this. But uh, hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless.